Welcome to Know Your Foe on Colts.com, an in-depth look at the upcoming matchup. Here are your hosts, Casey Vallier and former Colts wide receiver, Bill Brooks. Well, for the final time, we are here for Know Your Foe on Colts.com. I'm your host, Casey Valle, joined as always by Colts Ring of Honor wide receiver Bill Brooks. And it is the season finale this Sunday as the Colts host the Houston Texans. And to give us some insight on the Texans, we turn to John Harris, who's the football analyst for Houston Texans Radio and Texans TV, and also the sideline reporter for Texans Radio. John, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure being with you guys for sure. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a, it's a tough place to start with both teams having, you know, really tough seasons to this point. Both teams are not playoff bound at all. But, you know, we can talk about a handful of spots. And I want to start with the play from the quarterback at Davis Mills. I know they're doing a little bit more with, with uh, you know, kind of a two quarterback system right now with uh, Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll. But when it comes to just Davis Mills, are we sitting here at the finale with a foregone conclusion that the Texans are going to be drafting a quarterback in, in April? Well, what I've said all along, uh, Casey, is that the Texans, it just hasn't been good enough. I mean, all year long, the, the lack of consistency, the lack of consistency really showed up last week in particular. At Nashville, against Tennessee, the final drive, Davis was 4-for-4 four four for 69 yards and a big touchdown to get us a win. I mean, it was what we've all dreamed of Davis Mills being. And then this past week against Jacksonville, uh, the phrase you could hit the broadside of a barn. I mean, there were guys open, and Davis was five to seven yards away from those throws. I mean, you guys have been on the league. You know when a, when a throw is missed, uh, and you know when a throw is completely errant. And there were a lot of those errant throws, and it just felt like the the confidence was was definitely gone at that point. So I do think it's going to happen with the quarterback, which makes this one really interesting because it does affect whether the Texans end up with the first pick or the second pick, right. depending also what happens in Chicago. So it's kind of a <laughs> – the right way of saying this is kind of an odd game from that standpoint. Now, I do think there are two elite quarterbacks in this draft, so if you're at two, you're going to at least get the opportunity to draft one. But I think that's been the story this year. You know, the defense has really hung in there. It's not been great, but it's hung in there at times. Um, there have been a number of games, uh, a lot more than people understand for the Texans, where we've been in the game in the fourth quarter, you just rattle off. You know, we had a 17-point lead against Indy in the fourth quarter and blew that one. The next week at Denver, uh, we had a lead going in the fourth quarter. At Chicago, we were tied going in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, Even against Dallas, we were ahead going in the fourth quarter. Kansas City, we were ahead going into the fourth quarter. We just haven't been able to make plays in the fourth quarter. Uh, and you guys both know, when it comes to quarterbacking, the one thing you better be able to do is be consistent. 100%. You better be good in the fourth quarter. You've got to be good in the clutch. Um, and we just haven't been able to do that to pull off uh, the wins that maybe this team, I don't say deserved, but there were spots where they could have won games and they just haven't gotten it done in the second half in the fourth quarter. And I think that's going to lead uh, to the Texans making a decision at quarterback this offseason and more than likely in the draft. Now, John, a player that Texans did draft this past year and has been productive is running back Damian Pierce, a fourth-round draft pick out of Florida. I know he was placed on IR, but how surprised were you by his play this year and what are your expectations of him next year? Bill, it's a great question about Damian. You know, he came in here as a fourth rounder, and I do a ton of draft work. So it was interesting that day. We we were looking at the board, and you know, we hadn't drafted a, a running back yet. And we're like, okay, here's who's on the board. You know, Brees Hall was the guy I know that the the organization liked, but uh, you know, he was snatched up. I think at pick thirty five, and so well, we quote unquote settled for Jalen Petrie a couple picks later, and that ended up being a good settling. Yeah. Um, 
But when Pierce was there, you know, there was a guy from Houston, Isaiah Spiller, who played at AM. He's from Houston. We had drafted Kenyon Green, and we were talking on a draft show that, oh, you know, Spiller would make sense. You know, we need running back, and he's a young dude. He would come in here and fit fine. And then we started hearing, you know, they like Damian Pierce from Florida, and I loved it because of the way that Damian approaches the game. Uh, he, he is, he's, He's kind of an old-school running back. I mean, he has not met a defender that he likes, um, and he will run through them and run over them and run around them. I mean, the run that he has at Jacksonville in Week 5 is – I just we just call it the run now. we just like, oh, yeah, the run. We all know what you're talking about because he's given he gave us that. And when he went out in that Dallas game, it really hurt us because we didn't have him to go to on the goal line when we needed to score and finish the game. Uh, and we didn't have him uh, last week against Jacksonville when we needed to get into the game because the passing game couldn't get going. He's going to be, you know, the future of this offense. I do think we need somebody to go with him. It can't be, you know, Damian's running the ball and now he needs a break and the drop-off from, from Damian to everybody else is so vast. You know, we need somebody that can step in there and do something along the lines of what Naeem Hines gave the Colts next to Jonathan Taylor. We need somebody like that as well. Um, and that's where we really struggled without Damian. We've been, you know, 30 carries for 70 yards. You know, we plow through, but you, know, you can't plow through in this league. You got to be able to right. power through. And we just haven't been able to do that without Damian. But um, from the first day of training camp, we all looked at each other and said, oh boy, this could be fun. This is the best running back we have. Let's see if he ends up being the guy. And even though he didn't get as many carries against Indianapolis, it really started the next week at Denver, and he was great all year long. Being. You know, on IR at the end of the year, maybe it saves him some, you know, it, let's say he misses four games, that's probably 20 hits, maybe. You know, you save him, yeah. you know, a few games of hits on his body as he goes into the offseason, uh, and that might end up being a good thing. But we need more help, but he's at least a starting point in the run game for sure. Yeah. Now, John, I want to move to the wide receivers. Coming into the season, two players the Texans were counting on were Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins. Brandon wanted to be traded during the season, and Nico has missed some games and is on IR. What do you see for the future of Brandon with the Texans, and is Nico developing into the receiver they expected? Well, Bill, I'll start with Nico. Um, I don't know if you have any eligibility left, Bill, but we definitely <laughs> need to You know, he's in good shape. You in the, uh, yeah, I know. Um, you know, it's like Andre Johnson. Andre walks into our our uh, studio, and we're like, Dre, you could still play, my man. <laughs> yes, he <you> could. <laughs> I'll, I'll start with Nico, though. I, I, Nico made a lot of progress this year, and it's unfortunate that he ended up getting hurt. But he ended up being a guy that Davis and the quarterbacks really relied on. When they got into trouble, they would look to him. Uh, I mean, what he did against the New York Giants, I'm thinking, man, this this guy's about ready to take the next step. Then he gets banged up, and you know he just can't finish the year. And I think that's that's kind of the, the knock on Nico at this point. Two years, he's been banged up a significant amount. But when he's on the field – he is very difficult to cover. I mean, he is he's our version, um, to kind of bring it back to Indianapolis, it's kind of our version of Michael Pittman with maybe another inch or so. Um, so he's developing, um, and we need him to be that guy. Now, um, some will say this draft class is not great. It doesn't have a Jamar Chase. It doesn't have a, um, you know, a Justin Jefferson. But it's got a lot of depth, and it's got a lot of speed. And so I think we'll definitely look in, in the draft um, to add more to the mix. Now, we missed John Mechie this year. Um, we knew we were going to miss him for a few games because of the ACL that he suffered in the SEC championship game. But then he came down with leukemia, yeah. and we thought, oh, my gosh. Now we got to go through this again because David Quesenberry had to go through that right, back yeah. in 2014. So it's just unfortunate. But, you know, Mechie will be like a bonus draft pick next year, which would be kind of nice. Now, as it pertains to Brandon, 
what's the phrase? It's complicated. Um, <laughs> this is this is definitely that situation. It's definitely been complicated, especially um, from the, the trade deadline on. Um, you know, he came through for us on Christmas Eve day uh, in Nashville with a big catch, uh, touchdown catch in the end zone. Um, but he's been kind of in and out of the lineup, and, and some of that's been injuries. Some of that has been just I had other reasons. I'll just leave it at that. So, <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for Brandon from that from that standpoint. I mean, contractually, um, if he stays here or moves on, I still there has to be some work on it uh, because he's got eighteen million dollars guaranteed for next year, um, and so there's going to have to be some work on that contract, no matter what happens. Um, so um, we're just watching him out of practice. And the one thing I always say about Brandon is, is when when the guy shows up to work, he works. Good. He's one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. Um, and so if he shows up to, to play in week 18, uh, he's going to give everything he's got and hopefully give us an opportunity to move the football through the air. But what the future is, what the future is for Nico is very clear. Stay healthy, he'll become the number one guy. For Brandon, it's a little bit murkier um, and not sure where it's going to end up going. He's been in a tough situation here with the last few seasons. I mean, he got in here in 2020, and we've won four, four, and two games since. And that really is not an indication of what Brandon Cooks can do on a field. It's just been unfortunate, the situation that we've been in uh, with the lack of talent. And then this year, bringing a lot of young talent, like Damian Pierce we mentioned. We're joined by John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter for the Texans. You mentioned that the defense has kind of battled all year. When you look at the numbers, they aren't great. So how do you assess the way that the numbers kind of read and where this defense actually played this season? Uh, it's a great question, Casey. Yeah, it, you know, there have been some moments where you can see – some really good things happening. And I, I think a perfect example of this is against Tennessee uh, up there, you know, <laughs> Derrick Henry going into that game had had four straight 200-yard rushing games. Jeez. <laughs> four, four straight. And, guys, I, I was there for every single one of them watching from the sideline or the COVID year, the first row of the stand. I watched every one of them. And I just would curse his name every time. <laughs> and so when we when when we went up there to play them in the first quarter, he breaks off a forty eight yard touchdown run. And I'm just saying some really bad words. I can't say on the air. I'm just really <laughs> upset. I'm like, he's gonna do it again. And then over the rest of the game, over the next twenty carries or whatever were left in the game, he averaged under three yards a carry. Or just just about three yards a carry. And it was that one big play that that killed us but because the run defense got it back together with a bunch of rookies and some second year guys they held Derek Henry to about three yards per carry for the rest of the game and we were able to get back in the game and win the game because Uh of that and there's been a lot of that there have been some really good moments and then all of a sudden bang there goes Khalil Herbert for 52 yards against the Bears Um, you know last week uh, Travis Etienne we're not getting gassed by him yet but then, you know, kind of hold them in check for the most part. And then all of a sudden, 62-yard run. Like, golly. So there's been those big plays, and it's been missed tackles. You know, a guy out of a gap. Um, and in some cases, it's been that offense has more elite players than we do. But there have been times in the Dallas game where we're really holding them in check. It's Dallas. I mean, they've got players all over the place. Um, we just, against the run, got in such a, a hole um, this year. And, and – one of the reasons Malik Collins missed about three or four games in the middle of the season, and that's when teams really gashed yeah. us. But when Malik has been back, he's been very, very good. This team needs more elite talent on the front seven. 
Now, they can rush the quarterback now. They can get after the quarterback. So if we get them in passing situations, there are some guys that can get to the quarterback. But what we don't have, size. We've, we're a pretty small front um, that relies on quickness and speed. Um, and Malik really was kind of our only big guy inside. And so when he was gone, we had rookies uh, and a second-year guy in there. That's all we had. And, and teams went to town on us from that perspective. So we've got to get better up front. There's no doubt on the front seven. Um, but when you add in Jalen Petrie and what he's done, we only saw Derek Stingley for half a season, but yeah. you could see the talent is there um, for sure. Christian Harris at linebacker, the Colts didn't see him week one, but they'll see him in week 18, and he has come a long way, and he is a dynamic player. Now you add a few players through the draft. Now you add a couple, one or two in free agency, and now this thing starts to turn around. Now those big plays start stopping. Now you give the ball back to your offense a few more times. Now hopefully you've got better quarterback play and your offense can start doing things. And hopefully at that point you can leave two fourteen and one or whatever the season is going to be in your rearview mirror and you can build this thing right with a foundation. Um, but we're not there yet. There are some foundation pieces. Damian Pierce, Jalen Petrie, Derek Stingley, um, Christian Harris, um, even a guy like Roy Lopez in his yeah. second year has played a lot better football. Those pieces are here. There just aren't enough of them, and especially at one key position that's got to change going into the 2023 season. Now, John, you mentioned his name just a second ago. Jalen Petrie is a rookie that's on that defense that has been productive for the team. He leads the team in tackles and interceptions. How impressed have you been with Jalen? Yeah, I mean, Bill, my goodness. He's kind of an old-school dude, um, and, and this is why I think you guys would love him. He's kind of an old-school guy. Um, the way he approaches the game, he's so tough. And it's funny, he's, he's from Stafford, Texas, which is about 20 minutes away from the stadium. So when they oh, called wow. him on draft night, when they called him on draft night, um, he's like, you guys want me to come over? And they're like, no, no, no you need to celebrate with your family. Um, but from the first day of OTAs, it was clear that guy was going to be, be a starter for us. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, we would talk to Lovey, and Lovey would just gush about him, like this guy. But about halfway through the year, they moved him to free safety. And that's given him even more opportunity to make plays. And I think this is a pretty amazing number. Going, coming out of the Tennessee game, it was three guys. Well, then he racked up 13 tackles and interception against Jacksonville. He's the only rookie defensive player since 1991 to register 125-plus tackles and five interceptions in a season. Jeez. I mean, it's incredible to think about it. I mean, the one other thing that's happened is, you know, he's a, he's a quiet yet – um, gets on the field, he takes on a different personality. But you could tell that he would, you know, defer to the to the veterans, and that's changed. He's now that guy in the hmm. huddle, and I think even to a point where you know our all pro tackle Laramie Tunsil, you know, Laramie doesn't say a whole lot. He's always kind of funny to talk to, but he was doing an interview with some of our guys here in the building, and he was asked about. You know, what's a dog? Because he was calling everybody a dog at the beginning of the year. He's like, you know, Damian Pierce is a dog, and he stopped himself. And he goes, you know what? You know who my favorite player is? Jalen Petrie. And I was like, man, you talk about a stamp of approval. That <laughs> yeah. was it. Because um, that's what Jalen Petrie has meant. Now, his tackling still needs to improve a little bit. You yes. know, a couple of those long runs were because he had missed a couple of tackles. Um, but what he gives us from a leadership standpoint, from a production standpoint, from a ball hawk standpoint, he is a different player than he was in week one. Um, he's come so far, and I think in OTAs in 2023, he will be the no-doubt leader of this defense going forward. I mean, he will be the guy that everybody responds to and everybody answers to. It's already happening now, but I got a feeling when more young guys come in, 
They're going to look at number five and go, all right, five, what do we do? And he's going to be that guy. And I haven't seen anybody really like that since Tyron Matthew. Wow. Tyron came in here, he took everybody um, by the nape of the neck and was like, I'll show you. And you guys have seen Tyron. He's 5'8", you know, 175 pounds soaking wet. And nobody had a crossword for that guy, ever. Everybody followed his lead. And it's going to be that same way for Jalen Petrie. Jalen's a little bigger, a little thicker, um, but he's going to give the same production in due time. To me, um, he reminds me a lot of, you know, for people that are kind of like what kind of players, he reminds me of Jesse Bates to the Bengals. You know, kind oh, of a ball hawk wow. that can be a really good player. That's the player that, that I comped him to going into the draft. And I think he's really – uh, he's gotten to a point where now as I'm doing my draft analysis for 2023, I'm now comparing these safeties to Jalen Petrie. That's how good he's been. Well, there you go. That's very high praise. Final couple things with you, John. Lovey Smith slid over to handle the head coaching duties after David Cullen had that position last year. How do you grade the job that Lovey has? I know that when you look at the record, they're going to be drafting either one or two. But does he deserve a little bit of grace due to the roster makeup? I think there's there's a lot that goes, you know, we said it's complicated. I mean, when a team is, you know, two, what are we now, 213 and one, it, it, I think it's easy to go, oh, well, yeah, the coaching was bad, GM was bad, everybody's bad, 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 bad. Um, but there have been so many times where this team that is still shorthanded, that hasn't gotten great, consistent quarterback play, has been in a game in the fourth quarter. I mean, Denver's a great example of that. We aren't do, We didn't do anything offensively. I mean, nothing. And yet, there's Lovey's defense keeping us in a ball game. Yeah. Um, and we're, you know, we're ahead six to three, I think, in that game going into the fourth quarter. And I'm like, how? We haven't moved the ball at all. The only thing we've done is Damian Pierce ran through a couple of Broncos for a first down. That's all we really did. Um, and yet, we're in the game in the fourth quarter. There have been so many games in the fourth quarter. Um, and I think what I've come to realize is that that's the difference in this league is that you know, teams can kind of go back and forth and you could stay in a game. You can get a stop, maybe a turnover. You can do this. But it's the teams that end up having the elite players that understand and execute in the final 15 minutes. That's what separates this because it's so close. This league is so close. I mean, obviously everybody's on scholarship, but right. it's so close. And so you get to that final 15 minutes and that's when you got to finish. Well, you know, a coach can be instrumental in that, but you got to have um, you got to have some of the elite players at one particular position in particular to, to make those plays. And they just hadn't been able to um, until we got to Tennessee and made those plays in the fourth quarter. When Davis Mills stepped up and was not only highly consistent, he was exceptional. That, and we didn't need him to be exceptional throughout the year. We just needed right. him at key spots at Denver, Chicago, Dallas, Kansas City to make those particular plays. And if you do that, you're probably looking at a five, six win team. Now, is that good enough? No, but you add another draft, the free agent money you've got coming in, all of a sudden you could be looking at something in 2023. But the offense in particular took a big step back, and that could maybe um, cost Lovey his job. I hope it doesn't. I think he's done under the circumstances. Um, he has kind of battled through just like the defense has. And I think that Lovey is a I, – I see why – Lovey was so good all those years in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I just wish that we could have won more games for him um, such that this isn't a question at the end of the year, if you know what I mean. Gotcha. Well, final thing with you, John, when you, when you look at this Texans team, in your opinion, what do they need to do this offseason to be competing with the Jags and the Titans in this division over the next handful of years? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it obviously starts at the quarterback position, but we're not unlike everybody in the AFC South, not named Jacksonville. I think everybody in the division right. has to examine what they've got at that position for sure. Um, I think the other thing, uh, we, we've got to get a little bit bigger and thicker uh, up front on the defensive front. I think we need to find we've, – we've now gotten better linebacker play, but for a long time this season our linebacker play was not very good. Uh, and we've got to solve the interior of our offensive line. Um, we had Justin Britt start the year he played game one, and then he went on uh, NFI, and he was gone the rest of the year. And, and I don't know that Justin was a top five center in the league, and I don't even think he was even a top 20 center in the league, but he was the guy that knew everything, and yeah. that, that was helpful. Well, then he's out, and we've had and so we've had to go Scott Quesenberry, and Scott's better as a backup, if I'm being honest. And Kenyon Green stepped in at left guard. But Kenyon missed almost all of training camp. Then he got banged up in the Raiders game, and he really struggled against some of the, the more stout defensive linemen that he saw. So we've got to be better on the interior. We've got to be better on the interior, on the other side of the ball as well. And we've got to get better quarterback play um, that you know Tennessee and Indianapolis have got to get going forward as well. So it's going to be an interesting offseason for the AFC South for sure. And I didn't think I would say this one year ago, that the beacon of consistency and the role model of the AFC South We'll be down to Duval County, yeah. but I think Doug Peterson's addition and Trevor Lawrence's rise has really made the Jaguars made, made everybody look at the Jaguars and go, "That's how it's done." Well, you know, last year it was, "That's not how it's done." <laughs> it changed very quickly in this league and for everybody in AFC South. So hopefully, we're that team next year that can take those strides um, and make those strides, those things we talked about, um, and become that team going forward. Uh, it's definitely the same conversation we're having here in Indianapolis, too. With where, where It's wild what 12 months does with one team, but definitely Jacksonville has turned around. There you go. John Harris, a football analyst for the Houston Texans Radio and Texans TV, also sideline reporter for Texans Radio. John, thank you so much for the time. Enjoy the game. We'll see you on Sunday. Casey and Bill, appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, as we've mentioned, the season finale is here. It's the Colts and the Texans at Lucas Oil Stadium on Sunday. For Bill Brooks, I'm Casey Vallier. Enjoy the game and go Colts. 